Hello and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes and this episode is called The Decline of the Crusaders, Episode 9, The Growing Empire of Saladin. In the last episode, we heard about the great defeat Byzantium suffered at the hands of the Seljuk Turks at the Battle of Myriokephalon in 1176. This effectively removed the Byzantines as a serious force in Syria and left the Crusaders alone to face Saladin. But Saladin had his own problems because his power base was in Egypt and he still faced a very fragmented political situation in Syria and Iraq, where Zengid princes were holding out against him in both Aleppo and Mosul. Just to remind you, the Zengids were the descendants of Nur ad-Din, who had united all of Syria and Iraq against the Crusaders. So before Saladin could launch a full-scale attack on the Crusaders, he wanted to finish building his own empire by bringing the remaining Zengids under his control so that he had Egypt and all of Syria and Iraq. This, of course, still left the Seljuk Turks and other Turkish tribes in Anatolia as completely independent. By the way, historians call Saladin the first ruler of the Ayyubid dynasty, which was Saladin's family name. As before, I'll read extracts from my abridged version of Sir Stephen Runtman's brilliant History of the Crusades. So, let's go. Hope you enjoy it. The decline of Byzantium upset the balance of power in the east. The princes of Armenia and Antioch were delighted and celebrated their relief by quarrelling with each other. On the news of the Byzantine emperor Manuel's death, Bohemond III repudiated his Byzantine wife in order to marry a woman who he liked called Sibylla. The patriarch Amory had not liked the Byzantine marriage, but he was shocked by the adultery. He excommunicated Beaumont, put the city under an interdict, and retired once more to Quasar. The nobles of Antioch hated Sibylla with reason, for she was a spy who received an income from Saladin in return for information about the strength and movements of the Frankish armies. They supported Amory. A civil war was breaking out when King Baldwin of Jerusalem sent an ecclesiastical deputation headed by the patriarch Heraclius to arbitrate. In return for financial compensation, Amory agreed to raise the interdict but not the excommunication, but Sibylla was recognised as a princess. However, many of the nobles were dissatisfied with the settlement and fled to the Armenian prince Rupin's court. Relations between the two princes were further complicated at the end of 1182, when the Byzantine governor of Cilicia, Isaac Comnenus, who was in revolt against the Byzantine emperor Andronicus, sought help from Bohemond against the Armenian Rupin and admitted his troops into Tarsus. Bohemond promptly changed his mind and sold Tarsus and the governor to Rupin, and then repented of it. The Templars ransomed Isaac on the understanding that the Cypriots, who sympathised with them, should pay them back. Isaac thereupon retired to Byzantine Cyprus, where he set himself up as an independent emperor and forgot about the debt. The Armenian Rupin next alarmed his neighbours by swallowing up the little Armenian principality of the Hethmunians, which had lasted on at Lampron in the northwest of Cilicia, under the 
patronage of the Byzantines at Constantinople. His extension of power alarmed Bohemond, who in 1185 invited him to a banquet of reconciliation at Antioch and tricked him and arrested him on his arrival. But Rupin's brother Leo finished off the conquest of the Hethmunians and attacked Antioch. Rupin was released on ceding Mamistra and Adana to Bohemond, but on his return to Cilicia, he soon recovered them and made himself master of the whole province. Bohemond made various ineffectual raids, but achieved nothing more. These pathetic squabbles between the petty Christian rulers were very convenient for Saladin. Neither Byzantium nor even the crusaders of northern Syria would impede his progress nor send help to the kingdom of Jerusalem, the only Christian state in the east that commanded respect amongst the Muslims was the distant kingdom of Georgia, at present engaged in growing at the expense of the Seljuk princes of Iran, whose difficulties were very convenient to Saladin. Under these circumstances, it was essential for the kingdom of Jerusalem to keep the truce of 1180. But Reynald of Châtillon, Lord now of Outre-Jourdain, could not understand a policy that ran counter to his wishes. By the terms of the truce, Christian and Muslim merchants could pass freely through each other's territory. But it irked Reynald to see the rich Muslim caravans passing unscathed so close to him. In the summer of 1181, he yielded to temptation and led his local troops out eastward into Arabia to Tamar near the road from Damascus to Mecca. Close to the oasis, he fell upon a caravan that was travelling peacefully to Mecca and made off with all its goods. He seems even to have contemplated moving down to attack Medina, but Saladin, who was in Egypt, sent a hasty expedition under his nephew Farouk Shah from Damascus into Outre-Jourdain, which brought Reynald hurrying home. Saladin complained to the king of Jerusalem, Baldwin, of the breach of the treaty and demanded compensation. Baldwin admitted the justice of the claim, but in spite of his urgent representations, Reynald refused to make any amends. His friends at the court still supported him, and so Baldwin weakly let the matter drop. But Saladin followed it up. A few months later, a convoy of 1,500 Christian pilgrims was forced by the weather to land in Egypt near Damietta, ignorant that the truce between the Muslims and Crusaders had been violated. Saladin immediately threw them all into chains and sent to Baldwin, offering to release them as soon as the merchandise pillaged by Reynald was returned. Once again, Reynald refused to give anything back. War was now inevitable. Reynald and his friends persuaded the king to concentrate the royal army in Outre-Jourdain to catch Saladin as he came up from Egypt. The Ebelins and Raymond vainly pointed out that this would expose Palestine to Saladin should he get by. Saladin left Egypt on the 11th of May 1182. As he bade a ceremonious farewell to his ministers, a voice from the crowd shouted out a line of poetry whose meaning was that he would never see Cairo again. The prophecy came true. He took his army across the Sinai 
desert to Aqaba and then move northward without difficulty, well to the east of the Crusader army, destroying the crops as he went. When he arrived at Damascus, he found that Farouk Shah had already raided Galilee and sacked the villages on the slopes of Mount Tabor, taking 20,000 head of cattle and 1,000 prisoners. On his return, Farouk Shah attacked the fortress of Habis Jaldak, carved out of the rock above the river Yarmouk, beyond the Jordan. A tunnel that he cut through the rock put it at his mercy, and the garrison, Christian Syrians, with no great wish to die for the Crusaders, promptly surrendered. Saladin spent three weeks in Damascus, then with Farouk Shah and a large army, he left on the 11th of July and crossed into Palestine around the south of the Sea of Galilee. The king of Jerusalem, aware now of the folly of his previous strategy, had come back from Outre-Jordain and marched up the west bank of the river, bringing the Patriarch and the True Cross to bless his arms. The two armies met beneath the Hospitaller's Castle of Beaver in the fierce battle that followed. The Franks held their ground against Saladin's attacks, but their counterattacks did not break the Muslim lines. At the end of the day, each side retired, claiming the victory. It had been a check for Saladin as the invader, but only temporary. In August, he once again crossed the frontier in a lightning march through the mountains to Beirut. At the same time, his fleet, summoned from Egypt by the pigeon post that operated between Damascus and Cairo, appeared off the coast. But Beirut was well fortified, and its Bishop Odo organised a brave, vigorous defence. King Baldwin, on the news, rushed his army up from Galilee, only pausing to collect the ships that lay in the harbours of Acre and Tyre. Failing to take the city by assault before the Crusaders arrived, Saladin withdrew. It was time for him to deal with business that was more urgent. This involved Saif Eddin of Mosul, who had died on the 29th of June 1180, leaving only young children. The emirs of Mosul invited his brother, Iz Eddin, to succeed him. Eighteen months later, on the 4th of December 1181, the Zengid ruler of Aleppo, Asali, died suddenly of a colic universally attributed to poison. He was only 18, a bright, intelligent boy who might have been a great ruler. On his deathbed, he begged his emirs to offer the succession to his cousin at Mosul so as to unite the family lands against Saladin. Is Eddin arrived at Aleppo from Mosul at the end of the year and was given an enthusiastic welcome. Messengers came from the emir of Hama to offer him allegiance, but the two years truce with Saladin had not run out and Ez Eddin refused their offer, more from indolence than from honour. He had enough to worry him, for in February 1182 his brother Imad Eddin of Sinjar claimed a share in the inheritance and intrigued with the commander of the army of Aleppo, Kukburi. In May, Ez Eddin returned to Mosul and Imad Eddin gave him Sinjar in return for Aleppo. Kukburi was rewarded with the Emirate of Haram. From there, he plotted with his Turkish Autokid neighbours against the Zengid princes of Aleppo and Mosul, and the conspirators called Saladin to their aid. The truce between Saladin and the Zengids ended in 
in September, the day that it was over, Saladin crossed the frontier and after a diversionary attack on Aleppo, he moved over the Euphrates at Biraik. The towns of the Jazeera fell before him, Edessa, Saruj and Nizibin. He pressed on to Mosul and began the siege of the city on the 10th of November. Once again, he was thwarted by fortifications too strong to storm. His spiritual master, the Caliph An-Nasir, shocked at this war between fellow Muslims, tried to negotiate a peace. The Seljuk ruler of Persarmenia and the Prince of Mardin prepared to send a relieving force. So Saladin retired to Sinjar, which he took by storm after a fortnight siege. For once, he was unable to restrain his soldiers from pillaging the city, but he released the governor and sent him honourably attended back to Mosul. Izzedin and his allies marched out to meet him near Mardin, but sent ahead to suggest a truce. When Saladin answered truculently that he would meet them on the battlefield, they dispersed and fled to their homes. He did not pursue them, but went north to conquer Diyarbakir, the richest and greatest fortress of the Jazeera, with the finest library in Islam. He gave the city to the Prince of Kaifa. After reorganising the Jazeera, setting each city to be held as a fief under an emir that he trusted, Saladin appeared again on the 21st of May before the city of Aleppo. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. When Saladin moved against them, both Imad Eddin and Izzeddin had sought help from the Crusaders. An embassy from Mosul promised them a yearly subsidy of 10,000 dinars, with the retrocession of Banyas and Habis Yaldak and the release of any Christian prisoners that might be found in Saladin's possession, if they would make a diversion against Damascus. It was a hopeful moment for a few days after Saladin invaded the Jazeera, his nephew Farouk Shah, governor of Damascus, suddenly died. King Baldwin of Jerusalem, accompanied by the Patriarch and the True Cross, thereupon led a raid through the Haran, which sacked Ezra and reached Bosra, while Raymond of Tripoli recaptured Habis Jaldak. Early in December 1182, Raymond led a cavalry raid that again penetrated to Bosra, and a few days later, the Crusader army set out against Damascus and encamped at Dariah in the suburbs. It has a famous mosque which Baldwin spared after receiving a delegation from the Christians of Damascus warning that reprisals would be taken against their churches should it be harmed. The Crusader King did not try to attack the city itself and soon retired laden with booty to spend Christmas at Tyre. He planned a further campaign for the spring, but early in the new year he fell desperately ill of a fever at Nazareth. For some weeks he lay between life and death and his disease immobilised his army. Further north, Beaumont III was powerless to take any action against Saladin. He sent to his camp before Aleppo and concluded a four-year truce with him. It enabled him to repair the defences of his capital. 
At Aleppo, Imad Edin made a little effort to oppose Saladin. He was unpopular there, and when Saladin offered to give him his old home at Sinjar together with Nizabin Saruj and Raqqa to hold as a thief, he gladly complied. On the 12th of June 1183, Saladin took possession of Aleppo. Five days later, Imad Edin departed for Sinjar, honourably escorted, but mocked by the crowds of the city that he abandoned so lightly. On the 18th of June, Saladin made his formal entry and rode up to the castle of Aleppo. On the 24th of August, Saladin returned to Damascus, which was to be his capital henceforth. His empire now stretched from Cyrenaica to the Tigris. For more than two centuries past, there had not been so powerful a Muslim prince. He had the wealth of Egypt behind him. The great cities of Damascus and Aleppo were under his direct government. Around them and northeastward, as far as the walls of Mosul, were military fiefs on whose rulers he could rely. The caliph at Baghdad supported him. Izzedin at Mosul was cowed by him. The Seljuk Sultan in Anatolia sought his friendship and the Seljuk princes of the east were powerless to oppose him. The Christian Empire of Byzantium was no longer a danger to him. It only remained now to suppress the Crusaders, whose possession of Palestine and the Syrian coastline was a lasting shame to Islam. Meanwhile, the Crusaders lacked a strong leader to meet the challenge of Saladin. When the King of Jerusalem, Baldwin, rose from his sickbed at Nazareth, it was clear that he would no more be able to govern the country. His leprosy had been aggravated by his fever. He had lost the use of his arms and legs, and they were beginning to decay. His sight had almost gone. His mother, his sister Sibylla, and the patriarch Heraclius kept guard over him and persuaded him to hand the regency to Sibylla's husband, Guy of Lusignan. Guy was to be in complete control of the kingdom except for the city of Jerusalem, which with a revenue of 10,000 peasants, the king reserved for himself. The barons of the realm reluctantly accepted the king's decision. Meanwhile, Reynald of Châtillon was absent from these deliberations. When he heard of Saladin's departure to the north in the autumn of 1182, he set in motion a project that he had long had in mind, to launch a squadron on the Red Sea to raid the rich sea caravans heading to Mecca and even to attack the holy city of Islam itself. Towards the end of the year, he marched down to Isla at the head of the Gulf of Aqaba, bringing galleys that he built with timber from the forests of Moab and tried out on the waters of the Dead Sea. Isla, which had been held by the Muslims since 1170, fell to him, but the fortress on the island close by, the Ile de Grey, called by the Frankish historians, held out and Reynald remained with two of his ships to blockade it. The rest of his fleet set out with local pirates to pilot them. They sailed down the African coast of the Red Sea, raiding the little coastal towns that they passed, and eventually attacked and sacked Idib, the great Nubian port of opposite to Mecca. There they captured richly laden merchant ships from Aden and from India, and a landing party pillaged a huge defenceless caravan that had travelled over the desert from the Nile Valley. From Idib, the Crusader pirates crossed over to the Arabian coast. They burnt the shipping at Al-Hara and Yambo, the ports of Medina, and penetrated to Arigib, one of the ports of Mecca itself. Close by, they sank a pilgrim ship 
bound for Jeddah, the whole Muslim world was horrified. Even the princes of Aleppo and Mosul, who had called upon Crusader help, were ashamed to have allies that planned such an outrage on Islam. Saladin's brother, Malik al-Adil, governor of Egypt, took action. He sent the Egyptian admiral Hussam Adin Lulu with a fleet manned by Maghreb sailors from North Africa in pursuit of the Crusaders. Lulu first relieved the castle of Grey and recaptured Isla, from which Reynald himself had already retired. Then he caught up with the Crusader fleet off Alhora, destroying it and capturing almost all the men on board. A few of them were sent to Mecca to be ceremoniously executed at the place of sacrifice at Mina during the next pilgrimage. The rest were taken to Cairo and there they were beheaded. Saladin vowed solemnly that Reynald should never be forgiven for his attempted outrage and that the Crusaders should be punished. On the 17th of September 1183, Saladin left Damascus with a great army to invade Palestine. On the 29th, he crossed the Jordan just south of the Sea of Galilee and entered Bison, whose inhabitants had all fled to the safety of the walls of Tiberias. On the news of his coming, Guy of Lusignan summoned the full force of the Kingdom of Jerusalem, strengthened by two rich visiting crusaders, Godfrey III, Duke of Brabant, and the Aquitanian Ralph of Mulleon, and their men. With Guy were Raymond of Tripoli, the Grand Master of the Hospital, Reynald of Châtillon, the Ibelin brothers, Reynald of Sidon, and Walter of Caesarea. Young Humphrey IV of Turon came to join them with his stepfather's forces from Outre-Jourdain, but he was ambushed by the Muslims on the slope of Mount Gilboa and most of his men were slain. Saladin then sent detachments to capture and destroy the little forts of the neighbourhood while others sacked the Byzantine convent on Mount Tabor but failed to break through the strong walls of the Latin establishment on the summit of the hill. He himself encamped with his main army by the fountain of Tubania on the site of the ancient city of Jezreel. The Crusaders had assembled at Sephoria and marched on into the plain of Jezreel on the 1st of December. The advance guard under the constable Amalric was at once attacked by the Muslims, but the timely arrival of the Eblins with their troops rescued it. The Crusaders encamped at the pools of Goliath, opposite to Saladin, who then extended his wings so as almost to encircle them. For five days, the armies remained stationary. It was difficult for supplies to come through to the Crusaders. After a day or two, the Italian mercenaries completely complained of hunger, and only the timely discovery of fish in the pools of Goliath saved the army from starvation. Most of the soldiers, including the knights from France and the irrepressible Reynald, wished to attack the Muslims. Guy hesitated and dithered, but Raymond and the Ibelins firmly insisted that to provoke a fight against such superior numbers would be fatal. The Crusader army must remain on the defensive. They were right. Saladin many times tried to lure them out, when he failed, he lifted his camp and marched back behind the Jordan. He decided that he would resume his campaign against the Crusaders in the spring, for he knew that it was now only a matter of time before he could achieve a great victory over the Crusaders. And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd be hugely grateful if you left any ratings on the podcast. Thank you so much. And in the next episode, we'll hear more about Saladin's war against the Crusaders.